Hello, and welcome to Let's Talk Talking. This is the podcast where two experienced, as Sherry likes to tell me, SLPs, discuss speech and language issues for children in Saskatchewan schools. I'm Cheryl. And I'm Sherry. And today, we're going to talk about building capacity. This is something that SLPs in Saskatchewan have been pressured, I guess, to do over the last decade. And it sounds good. Build capacity in the classrooms, you know, teach teachers how to do things. It's a great idea. Um, But as we go through the discussion, uh, you'll see there's some pitfalls when we don't have some of the other services in place. So uh, that's what we're going to talk about today. In the past, we've talked about uh, the ideal model uh, for best practice and the need for intensive, frequent intervention uh, supported and using educational assistance, neuroscience and technology. And what else have we done, Cher? Well, we've also really been excited about a lot of the current research and the um, things that are going on that involve technology and uh, neurological mapping. And recently we talked about looking at the whole child and that readiness to learn uh, model. And uh, this actually, you know, kind of slides, our topic today sort of slides into that because um, using a multi-tiered system of support, um, which is sort of a newer term used um, under which response to intervention framework falls under so but the bottom line is that it is exactly what you mentioned before it's uh, for children in it was designed for children in the states who didn't have a label and who by law could not access services and so it the the idea is what can be offered to other children who don't qualify for services and of course, in Saskatchewan, we, we don't have any of those um, barriers at all to providing services. We've always, since the inception of speech pathology in Saskatchewan, been able to provide services to any child that the speech pathologists themselves deemed would benefit. Right. And so um, the uh, multi-tiered, the, the pressure in the last 10 years, we feel is sort of related to the fact that um people are trying to use that American model in Saskatchewan, um, but of course it doesn't all apply to us. Right. Yeah. The um, multi-tiered system of supports is um, designed for struggling students. So again, not children labeled or accessing intensive supports. It was uh, designed to be a proactive Uh, approach so you know a preventative one and the basic concept behind it is that there would be universal screening and children would be identified very early and the intervention would occur quickly and easily with uh, different um, interventions designed by the school team Um, and again the multi-tiered system of supports, I think, in if I've interpreted correctly, is really a wider band of 
services than RTI. I think RTI was kind of defined as providing academic support, but the uh, I'm going to just say MTSS <laughs> framework um, included academics, behavior supports, social emotional supports, and of course. Uh, what we have just spoken about recently, sort of all the readiness to learn. And so uh, in the American model, they're allowed to spend some money and uh, resort, use resources to help facilitate struggling kids. Um, so it includes the whole team and all the team members, uh, like uh, the psychologists, the counselors, the social workers, the teachers, the special ed teachers, the um, reading specialists, all of the teams, uh, all of the team members would be involved in developing the system of screening and the intervention programs. Um, they uh, work, the, the ideal model has parent involvement and then there's uh, an attempt to try to facilitate whatever intervention you're doing at home as well. And as I say, screening is hugely the, the sort of the number one uh, concept in this uh, tiered system, which allows then frequent monitoring so the child is seen and after just uh, maybe 12 to 16 weeks is generally the program a three to four month program and then you would see we provided this intensive support for a struggling learner are they needing to go on and be considered for intensive supports or have we been able to be successful and pull that child in with the rest of the class and where you'd expect a child should be performing. Um, all the programming and the interventions um, are evidence-based so that we're looking at programs that have shown themselves to work and have outcome. And each level, so uh, um, the very lowest level of, in the multi-tiered system of supports is a classroom-wide support. So it's, again, I'll just maybe as an example say for the speech path, we would want a teacher to know what is best practice in teaching language skills in kindergarten. And so we would want that teacher to um, collaborate with us and try to facilitate what we would hope um, could be delivered to the whole class to support their language development. And as I mentioned before, the, then the RTI model uh, that most people response to intervention is familiar to most school divisions. Although I have to say it is true that it's another one of those aspects that Cheryl and you and I've talked about how diverse and how um, different it is in every school division. I, I worked in a school division that you know, was able to provide, I, I thought, quite a an excellent um, RTI program for kindergarten from the speech paths vantage point. But I know your experience wasn't that at all. Right. Yeah, I think all the school divisions in Saskatchewan are trying uh, some aspects of the response to intervention. And possibly now, since I've been out of it for a year and a half, maybe they've moved on to the... Um, multi-tiered system as well but um, my experience was it was very hit and miss and 
uh, the aspects of the program that would be pulled out to be implemented were sort of just, it, it appeared sometimes to be just pulled out randomly um, and not done with with any sort of planning towards, you know, what they actually wanted and and sort of that that evidence-based and progress monitoring piece was often missing. So, uh, Sherry, you've talked about the uh, multi-tiered uh, uh, system of supports, and within that we have the uh, response to intervention. And those came about, um, well, especially the, the multi-tiered supports, came about with the most recent uh, education uh, act in the U.S., and that's the Every Student Succeeds Act, and uh, and that's a federal law in the U.S., and we'll talk more about that um, when we get down to the history, but I did just want to mention about response to intervention um, just very quickly. It's that tiered instruction, you know, that in-class level followed by the small group instruction for kids who might be struggling and then followed by um, uh, a more of a, a pull-out or individual student uh, instruction with a, a specialist. Um, and So what, I'll, I'll just interject for a second. Yeah. So that was, that was the building the capacity um, goal. You know, it was that, can you tell us for the classroom what we should be doing? Right. And then with the little groups, can you, can we collaborate and decide what should be done with these little guys who who may be in this in a screening or whatever show that they're at risk they 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 passed but they're very low in in the um, standard score um, and we we would want them if they're in the bottom twenty fifth percentile of the classroom the bottom quarter of the classroom can we still provide them something so that they don't slip and get into into trouble and fall behind their peers right so um response to intervention came about in 2004 but before that i just want to talk about in the mid-1970s i know i'm going back way long way and dating myself and so on but um we had public law 94-142 and all of the subsequent in, in, the, states, in, the, in states, the states sorry in the states yeah. and so all of the subsequent u.s laws requiring services to be provided in the schools for kids with disabilities um, have been built on public law 94-142 and uh, those include the the rti one which came about in 2004 with the individuals with disabilities act or idea and so that, that was, as Sherry said, it, it aimed to provide um, targeted support to students who may be struggling academically, so academically, as opposed to with the um, newer iteration, uh, which is broader. So, um, and it was designed to help educators address learning, difficult, learning difficulties early, uh, ensuring that uh, kids uh, had the appropriate interventions to improve their academic outcomes. So, um, because prior to that, the education system had relied on the wait-to-fail approach. So students would struggle for an extended period before being evaluated for special education services. And I'll just make a, just a slight aside here. 
when I first started in the schools in Saskatchewan, it was typical for me to have grade four students referred to me. That was, in terms of teacher referrals, I would say grade four was the biggest grade for for referrals. And that was because there was no screening. There was no way to identify those children early. And so people didn't know that they should be referred. And, you know, as a result, years and years were, were lost. And the kids were already failing and they already couldn't read. And so that was... And I think that, that was the most familiar thing to the traditional uh, classroom at that time is we were relying on the teacher's experience with reading to realize oh well these kids are struggling with reading and not recognizing earlier that they had language troubles that they really were having processing difficulties right and in the u.s as you said um in order to get a service through a speech language pathologist the students need to qualify that would mean that they would need to have a, a disability that was significant enough that it would impact their lives to a degree where they would need um, to have an SLP uh, working with them. And that's still in place. That's still the model that they have. Yes. So in order to, to have services from a speech and language pathologist in the States, you must by law qualify using the specific criteria. Right. That's correct. So if you want to just talk for a just go run quickly through the tiers, Sherry, in case people aren't familiar with what the, the tiers are. So th there are actually three tiers to RTI. And the first tier we uh, talk about is being the green tier. And it is the tier one, the widest group of children um, to be addressed. And it uh, involves some sort of intervention or support for the entire classroom. So we mentioned before, it might be that the speech pathologist is involved with the classroom teacher uh, in kindergarten, grade one, grade two, um, to provide ideas on how to support language or how to support the development of phonological awareness or how to support perhaps um, recognition of speech sounds and, and listening for sounds. It could be um, uh, sort of having handouts that parents can take home and be aware of how to support their children. Even, even actually in the school division I worked with, we had green support for hearing. So we wanted parents to be really aware that children might have ear infections that are not... Um, noticeable at home and that we, we would have a hearing screening program to identify those children and the importance of hearing and um, so again it was strongly tier one is strongly um, preventative so we're we're not really for the most part we're not really identifying um, and providing interventions for specific children, but for the whole class. So tier two, we would call yellow tier, and it is subsequent to all of those universal screenings that we talked about. And for the speech pathologist, we might screen in hearing, in phonological awareness, in language, in social communication. We might screen um, children's voices, 
uh, their quality of their voice or their uh, the fluency that they have. Maybe perhaps they might have stuttering um, patterns. So we would take a global quick look at all the communication skills a child has, and then we're going to find the children who um, we would deem already read like we might decide right from the get-go that a child has needs intensive services or we would um, identify them as perhaps benefiting from a 12 to 16 week program or a short-term program that would um, help the child just um, catch up with their peers in that length of time that we we just support them and bring their scores up into the the range that we thought and again talked about that the lowest 25th percentile of the class so they may pass the screening but um, they're still at risk we call it so um, they would be children in in the RTI program they're the children who there might be an academic aspect to to um, their needs. So if they don't have phonological awareness, they might have difficulty reading or writing later, later on. Um, and so those then become little groups and we would provide the, the little programs and you know watch their attendance and see how well they did and what the outcomes were and following, they were screened ahead of time and then following they have a, a little post test to see now are they where they should be or should they be referred on um then the the third level is what we talked about in just now about children who need specific services from a professional they need the speech pathologist to set up a program for them they need more intensive services they they maybe did try the RTI program for 12 to 16 weeks and it didn't bring them up to where they would be expected to be for their age. And, um, but also there are children that say enter kindergarten, we screen them and they, we know they are red and they just go straight on into a red program. They don't need to have a yellow and a red program. Um, they're, they're going to be pulled out of the classroom and seen one-on-one. So again, if, if in some instances we did find that, you know, teachers still wanted to include them in the small groups, but ideally um, you don't want to be taking so much time out of the classroom uh, on one area. You know, you're, if, if you're giving them red level tier services, that should suffice if it's done with uh, efficacy. So um, the programs are highly individualized. They're frequent and intensive. And um, it could be, we're talking about the speech pathologist at the moment, but it could be that the child uh, would be doing the same thing with the occupational therapist. For example, building up fine motor skills for handwriting um, or even for um, trunk stability. Some some little children don't have the strength to sort of sit up in their, their desks. Those would be the types of, of uh, interventions that children might need from the specialists and um, again I would underscore that you know when you get into the older grades like when you're talking maybe the end of grade two or or halfway through grade two or or certainly beyond 
there is no multi-tiered service system or RTI. The children should have already been identified. So you don't you don't keep doing this system over and over. No. Um, so again, and we're hoping, um, you know, it would happen actually in pre-K uh, that we would screen all the little guys and find out the ones who needed the support and then refer the little red guys on for even more intensive therapy. And so from pre-K into kindergarten and into grade one and into grade two, they would have four or five years of intensive intervention and should be with their peers by that time. But um, again, we have such a flaw in this, how the system is delivered in Saskatchewan and that's that we don't have services for tier three, the intensive services that should happen every day for short periods of time. Because any child also could be in more than one uh, tiered level, right? So they might they might need um, intensive services for their speech sound development. They might need intensive services for their phonological awareness um, development, and they might need intensive services for their language development. So again, these kids, if they don't receive that, then they will just keep on sliding and sliding and and there won't be change. There won't be change in their status. They, right. they need the interventions. Well, and it just puts them at extreme risk for failure um, overall, especially when it comes to communication difficulties. It's going to be a failure in literacy, most likely. That and, and social and emotional. Oh, yes, um, yes. You yeah. know, if, if you get a child, and I always say, you know, something as simple as R, the R sound, and a child yeah. who might not uh, receive the intervention they need, they're cute and fine, and it's kind of what most people would hear from, a you know, even up to an eight-year-old. But when you are 13 to 14, and you're talking about a cow and cowets and cop and doors. And Alaska um, wee wabbits. You know, yeah, yeah. Again, there's there's definitely going to be a social component, and they're going to be, you know, maybe a bunch for their their uh, peers. Yeah. So, so we do have. Um, again, we don't. We've talked about this in previous podcasts, but we don't have standards in Saskatchewan, and we don't have comprehensive data that that you and I know of. Um, there have, despite that, there have been some successes. So, um, yeah, and I would I would talk to that just yeah, really briefly. Sure. But in yeah. the school division that I work in, we set up uh, RTI. We universally screen children um, in four areas in kindergarten. We screen their phonological awareness, their vocabulary, their um, understanding of basic concepts, and I'm just trying to think. <laughs> Not last because I don't have it in front of me. Um, but what we what we did was set up programming for 12 to 16 weeks in, and we blocked that. So they would work for the, uh, for the um, three months on their phonological awareness, then they worked three months on their vocabulary, and then they worked... Um, oh, sorry, the other one was following directions. They worked right. three months on following directions and, and three months on um, basic concepts and you were so, able to use um paraprofessionals right like you set that up 
and you monitored it. The SLPs monitored it, but you were able to staff it using paraprofessionals. Is that? Yes, it was yeah. a speech and language assistance that carried out the programming okay. and uh, and took them in little groups and uh, uh, also uh, the the speech paths did uh, do the the pre and post um, screening right benchmarking so or yeah, whatever you want to call it the, yeah monitoring the success or. Yes, yes, there. and and the kids all had their own little. I'm so into meta skills that children know and understand what they need, what they are doing there. I'm I'm trying to train my brain to follow directions, and I'm going to go from just being able to hear one thing to being able to hear three things, and I'll be able to be a really good person following directions. So they had little charts, and they colored their charts, and and they could see their own progress. And uh, it, we we did feel that we had um, excellent outcomes from that because there again, when you're talking about well, who has the data? Well, that school division does have the data because we we. Right. Uh, did pre and post in all four quadrants that were targeted skill areas that we were that we were looking at so you know there are good things going on but as i say when i hear about you and that you weren't even allowed to screen children in one of your school divisions i was just like it's a jaw dropper well it it, it is it is you know to be told um well first of all to be told that you know, you have a caseload of 150 students in five different schools, and now you need to take 60% of your time away from those students who have significant communication needs and who are in desperate need of intervention, and we did not have speech assistance uh, for the most part to help the kids or to set up any programs through. And no one else is qualified or has the yes. um, job dis- um, competencies to deliver those services. Right. You know, like it's not like they're going to go on to somebody else and have it looked after. Right. So those students who already were in desperate need and who were not getting uh, what they needed in terms of service were now definitely not getting it. And then we were told that, well, those students will be served by us going in classrooms and setting up a a universal tier three or tier one green program. Well, it's kind of akin to if someone goes to the cardiologist and the cardiologist says, oh, you have major artery blockage, you need stents, you need some surgery to fix this, you know, heart issue that you have. But then Instead of doing that, the the cardiologist is told, well, we don't have an OR for you and we don't have staff for you to do that. So we're going to put this patient into a, a program with the other seniors and they're all just going to learn about healthy diet and exercise. That's not going to fix that person. It's just yeah, going it's to... Like, are you going to <laughs> correct, say, a, a difficult speech sound of... Uh, uh, problem like phonology by sending a handout home to the parent exactly it's 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 not not going going to work no and the teacher can't possibly take the amount of time that would be needed like i was told at one point well i gave the example of just a very simple example of a student who couldn't say the the k sound the k and the administrator said well the teacher will cover that when they cover the alphabet in kindergarten 
And I'm saying, well, but this child can't say it. How is the teacher going to cover it? I'm not, I can't, I can't understand how she's going to take weeks and weeks out of the other children's time to go, we're going to get stuck on the letter K. We're not going any further. <laughs> so anyways, um, yes. And I, the other thing I would re- say about that sort of thing too is even if the teacher could do you could teach her to do some of the interventions for say pronouncing a sound the issue is with a classroom of 25 kids every child even if you went around once and had them all produce the sound what what that child needs in order to change their neurological map is you know what we would do would be have a 10 minute or 15 minute Um, session with a speech and language assistant where her target is to do 200 repetitions of that sound to neurologically map it into the child's repertoire and so despite the teacher knowing and wanting to do it there is it's not the right model it's not the right amount of time it's it's shouldn't be in front of other children where you've got everybody that can go and there's one little child who can't and they're struggling in front of the rest of the classroom it's not the right model right yeah so and yeah and and what had happened again i think the same thing that we talked about we we were able to you know include all the children at every level we've always been able to do that what we didn't do in the early years of 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 speech pathology in saskatchewan we didn't necessarily take a lot of time telling the teacher how we were doing something or how they could facilitate it too because we really felt it was our job description to do it and um i think there is i think when you look at the big picture there is a role uh for that tiered that green level tier instruction to say you know you need to include basic concepts in kindergarten Uh, you need to include you know this is this is a model of how you could teach vocabulary and support vocabulary uh, or this is how we want children to be able to to um, improve their ability to follow instructions and you can give them some suggestions of things that they can do in the classroom and and of course that's not a difficult thing to do but it takes regular maybe in service and then you know handouts and and uh, but for the speech path to go in and and teach that or that be her intervention that can't that it's far too limited and it doesn't at all address the children who have tier three intensive needs right so and the other thing and i i think you had mentioned it and maybe i interrupted was then uh we had been providing screening to pre-k and k students and then uh we're told that that was not a good use of time when of course it's a huge, huge, huge time saver in that you get to have a complete picture of each class and each school and the whole school division to see where the needs are, number one. And um, it just allows you to prioritize because we're, we're not going to get to each child. And, you know, at, we can, in the ideal world, set up a, uh, 
a tier two, a yellow program for those kids who just need a, a little bit of a boost, hopefully, and uh, and then set up and then work with the, the kids who are really needing that uh, intensive intervention right away, again, before they fail, you know, in pre-K and K, before they even understand that, you know, other kids might be doing better than they are, they can, we can get them up to a level where, you know, they're, they're going to be able to succeed to the best of their ability. So. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 And again, it's not, there aren't hundreds of skills to be taught there there is a finite number of skills to be uh, taught with regards to communication and and uh, so it is manageable to to do you know uh, those types of interventions with little guys yeah and just to give you uh, an idea now these stats that i'm quoting are old probably probably way old but that's i mean i'm way old so but um, in the U.S., tiered services have always, since the mid-70s, been provided by law, by the speech-language pathologist. And it's, well, just recently, in fact, not even not even long ago, but um, uh, an SLP that I used to work with was one of four SLPs in one elementary school. So um, it, it was manageable for one of the SLPs to take a portion of her time and work on those tier one um, strategies for kids in kindergarten and grade one, um, and and it it what it didn't take too much away from those red uh, students, those students who have those intensive needs. And so she might have gone into the classroom, say, for twenty minutes and helped the teacher with the following directions right, activity. Right, yeah. exactly. She might have talked to the teacher beforehand, help the teacher set up the activities, and then go in and help her, you know, run those activities, maybe modeling at first for the teacher and, and getting those things up and running so that the teacher knows how those would work in the classroom. And, you know, it, I remember previously, uh, if you, some of the recommendations from the American Speech and Hearing Association uh, a long time ago were that an SLP in the schools, if they had a, a very simple caseload of kids who um, qualified but they didn't have any intensive needs, you could serve about 40 students. But if you had uh, a caseload of students with intensive needs, uh, eight students, if you didn't have an assistant, would be the max. And of course... Just to clarify... These are children, both groups actually would be under their definition requiring intensive needs and have qualified for services. Right. But but they wouldn't, for example, I think the, the differentiation would be a child who is, as we talked about, has speech sounds, uh, phonological awareness, language, or maybe doesn't, uh, isn't able to speak and needs an, an alternative communication system. Those would be the type that would be you could handle eight of those kids, but if a child is just working, say, on their speech sounds, yes. uh, you might be able to handle more kids. Yeah, right. Yeah, that's the difference. And and who qualifies down there? You know, if you do not have some of your speech sounds by the age that you're supposed to have them, that you qualify for speech and language. So, um, but yeah. So if you think of here in Saskatchewan, you know. The, I never had a caseload that was below 150. 
and probably at least 25 of those would have been intensive needs students. So, um, yeah, and it was not uncommon for uh, our speech language pathologists to, ha to have caseloads of about 175. So, and you know, five different schools and the driving time and so on and so forth. So when you take 60% of the time away from those students who desperately, desperately need those services, um, it's, and think that those students will somehow be served by the teacher in the classroom, it's just very disheartening. Well, and I, from my, uh, you know, history of needing to have that data, <laughs> I just think, how could you possibly justify that and have the outcomes when it's so watered down? I mean, there's just, you won't have outcomes. Right. You, and so you have to get to a point where you provide services to some group with frequency and intensity so that it, they actually do get better and, and improve their skills and you know pull themselves into the range with where they don't need support to, uh, anymore so yeah we've got that's the biggest problem is these uh, it, it's almost like even after this number of years after 40 years we still haven't got a model where we're doing it with efficacy and mm -hmm. having outcome right not not everything i i mean and everybody out there i mean all my my buddies and <laughs> friends that i've worked with I, I i'm not it's not a blanket statement that it's not happening in some places of course it is but we're we're still lobbying for all of those little guys that don't have good speech and language services for sure yeah, so to to get back to again a summary of the the um, the individual with disabilities education act in the US that 2004 legislation SLPs were then allowed to provide up to 15% of their time to tier 1 and tier 2 activities. So uh, again, it's because they weren't previously serving those struggling learners whereas you have mentioned uh, Sherry, that we've always been able to serve those struggling learners in our schools. It has that has not been the barrier. Uh, the barrier has been caseload sizes. Um, yes, it's almost the reverse. The, yes. the American system has always done an excellent job of providing intensive supports to children who were identified as needing tier three services by law because there was a law in the states you must right mm -hmm. whereas in canada we always provided very good tier one and tier two and a little smattering of tier three um but for the vast majority for probably 80 percent of the students who need intensive speech and language services they never got any right exactly that's exactly and they get it yeah, yeah. so how do we fix this? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and that, again, you know, we throw this out and it's kind of Debbie Downer, and but um, it's still going back to defining what is best practice, what is that best model. I think, Cheryl, you and I would agree that there is room, there is room in the model for having all uh, a multi-tiered um, uh, system 
of services. There, there, that would be the ideal so that Absolutely. you could help the teacher and you could have the little groups and, and all of that, but it needs to be pushed way back. It should be happening in pre-K and K and one potentially. And, and that's where that real intensive um, uh, need for service is and should be. And then beyond that, when kids get, you know, the end of grade one on, they should be into tier three intensive services. And so um, it's to find that model that includes all that sort of thing. Um, and then it's going back instead of looking at the numbers and these huge caseloads, it's going back and looking at a workload uh, model that says, well, what can a speech path manage? What What's reasonable for her to be doing? Um, and I do think that, you know, although we not, we don't want to be absolutely dictated to and, and at most speech paths with a master's degree by this time uh you know most fields have those standards set up and and uh, wouldn't be struggling like we are struggling to to find <laughs> cheryl and i talked about the fact that you know even if you go into a garage they you know kind of know how much time uh it takes to do an oil change and how much time it takes to do a uh you know a tire rotation and how much time it might take to to overhaul a motor whatever. and and you know you've got to get to that point where you're defining how much time does it take to do an assessment how much time does it take to set up a uh tier two uh program and then go back and say well what can it one person manage um and again i have to say there are some things working and my school division had I thought come to a really good point with their RTI but do any of the other school divisions know about that and are they sharing and and um, you know what what is working maybe there are other things that were working that our school division never heard of too so but uh, the, the issue is still overall is who's at the helm who will decide that we need a provincial standards um, a model and um, so we're asking all our listeners out there you know what are your experiences with tiered intervention and you know uh, are are you aware of any provincial data that might help us uh, you know pull some stats together and um, we we think it's really time to become accountable and not just continue and perpetuate the model we have and we're hoping hoping for change and we're wondering if if that's what all of you are thinking too so please uh please reach out to us uh, kids with communication disorders really deserve to have some attention i it's, it's maybe our time they definitely deserve um some attention so um, we, we would really encourage you to go to our website at letstalktalking.com or if you um, don't want to do that, you can just email us directly at Sherry and Cheryl at letstalktalking.com. So for Let's Talk Talking, I'm Cheryl. And I'm Sherry. Let's, Let's talk. talk.